This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulating their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Winglings Under the Willow Tree. Previously on Winglings, Will was taught how to wield pixie magic. Using a magical quail quill, he wrote his first two spells, Stinky Pits, which allowed him to push back the ink eel poison that is spreading in his body, and Gephora, which allows him to control the wind. Well, sort of. Soon after the training, the Jolly Leafa ventured into the waters of the Fighting Waves. The ferocious waves slammed against the ship, nearly breaking it to pieces and sending them to the deep. 
But before they could do so, Will used his new Gephora wind spell to push the waves back. Will may have saved their lives, but their ship took a beating and is starting to sink. Sailing as quickly as they can, Will, M, and Magborn head for Crow, the town that carries the cure to the poison, a Queen Ink Eel. And now for episode six, Crow. Stinky pits, stinky pits, stinky pits, I mumbled to myself. Each time the ridiculous words left my mouth, I could feel the rush of the poison pushing back from spreading. Thank the light it was working, but not for long. I was growing weaker by the minute and wasn't sure I'd be able to hold the eel ink back much longer. Water gushed up through the ship's hull, gurgling up towards the deck which now floated only a few feet above the ocean's surface. Paying no attention to the sinking, splitting ship, Magborn pushed wind into the leaf sail and steered towards the lighthouse ahead. "'You're doing great, Will,' Magborn said. "'We're coming up on the port now. Grab hold of something. We're coming in fast.' I clung to the ship's tree mast with my weak hands and squeezed my sister close. Crash! The ship jerked hard as we slammed into the dock. Magborn dropped the anchor and then ran to my side. He pulled a cloak out of a chest by the mast and handed it to me. Throw this on, he said. We need to keep you and that ferryling hidden. You've done great keeping that poison at bay, but I'm certain a good number of dark minions have tracked us here. Come now, the longer we wait, the harder it'll be. As quickly as I could, I tied M to my belly and pulled the cloak over us, making sure my face was well masked in the deep hood. I expected the robes to weigh me down, possibly make it harder for me to move around, but actually I found it to be quite light and comfortable, surely another one of Magborn's enchanted trinkets. Once the robes were tied, I hopped off the sinking ship onto the deck. When I landed, I looked back, waiting for Magborn to follow, but he didn't jump. "'What are you waiting for?' I said. "'You said yourself we don't have much time.' Magborn stopped scrambling through the tools in his chest long enough to look up at me. "'I've got to try to save her, Will. She's basically all I've got. Besides, we'll need her if we want to get to the temples in good time.' "'Don't look at me like that. You'll be fine.' See that teetering object on that roof down the road? I looked and saw the swaying shadow in the distance. That's the sign for the twisty-tailed Todd. That's the inn that serves Queen Ink Eel. Go on, I'll meet you there in a bit. Get us a couple rooms on the third floor and I'll be there, hopefully before the foggy fowl creeps in. Stinks the high pixie it does. Well, what are you staring at? Go! Reluctantly, I left Magborn to service his ship. I could appreciate what it meant to him. During my short time aboard, I myself had grown fond of its hidden wonders. Magborn had built and enchanted much of it himself. If he thought that I could make it to the inn by myself and do what I needed to do, then that was all the confidence I needed. Or so I thought. It took all but a few seconds to put that confidence to the test, for Crow was not what I expected. The filthy port village came to view as I made my way through a thick cloud of fog resting over the dock. A wooden sign carved in the shape of wings had the faded village name inscribed in it, Crow. 
I knew it would be an odd place the second I set foot in it. The lighthouse we'd followed was nothing more than a tower with a big fat firefly at the top doing a jig in front of a mirror. The tired dancing insect looked like he was about to pass out from exhaustion. I passed him and followed the barnacle-covered dock that extended into the street and served as the main walkway over sandy land. Long, slimy strands of kelp hung from its posts and over many of the houses, which, come to think of it, weren't much of houses at all. They were crooked, old, maroon ships lining either side of the street pier. Their wood splintered, and where the ship had split completely, they'd put in front doors. Warm light spilled through their cracked porthole windows into the foggy night. Those that still had full masts intact, stretching high above their deck roofs, waved their family's colors from a tattered flag. A couple of the boathouses had at least tried to appear homey by nailing a gabled porch over the front door or hanging dusty drapes over the windows. A few of them even built a clay-tiled roof over the deck. But it didn't do the trick. The village was cold and bleak, and I felt as though I'd sunken to the deep after all and had been sent to some miserable pirate afterlife. Every block or so a sign would mark the street, usually a piece of wood carved into the shape of a fantastical sea creature like a green-bellied shark squid, or laughing crabs, or a queen ink eel. The second I saw that last sign, I knew I was in the right place. "'Keep them lousy crabs in your own yard, and keep them quiet!' shouted a voice up ahead. It was followed by a loud boom. I quickly hid behind a sign and hushed M. "'Maybe if you'd stop leaving your trash out for so long, they wouldn't come begging!' shouted another voice. The street boomed again. I peeked out and watched as two neighbors shot at each other across the street, with cannons perched atop their roofs. In the heat of their argument, cannonballs whizzed through the air, blowing holes through the fog and shattering into the boathouses. Holding M tight, I ducked and ran under the skirmish until I reached the next block. I know what you're thinking. How in all the magical kingdom have humans not discovered such a wretched place? Good question. Some say our places and doings are hidden from you by a magical spell. I, on the other hand, tend to believe you humans are just too thick to find them for yourselves. Too busy with your all-important lives to concern yourselves with fairies. Only a small group of humans who work with fairies know where any of this is. Ah, but that's a whole other story. Where was I? Oh yes, the inn. I'd almost reached it when I heard a group of marching footsteps approaching. Before they were upon me, I ducked into the shadows. Very carefully, I poked my head out to see who it was. My mouth went dry at the sight. Marching through the pier streets were minions of the dark. Hardles, bat-winged lunas, dark fairies, and unless I was saying things, swiffle giffles. Trust me, you don't want to know what those are. Two of the Lunas stepped aside from the group to inspect a couple of trash barrels not far from where I was hiding. Any word? said the smaller one. Nothing new, said the other, giving the bat wings behind his head a good scratch. Just that they've been tracked here. We almost lost the signal over the ocean, but it's picking back up. 
boss is on his way. Says we're real close. Probably have him by tonight. Gotta love them ink eels, eh? The smaller one wasn't paying attention. Instead, he was looking around. Do you feel that? he asked. What? That. Don't you feel it? The bigger one bonked him in the chest. Now are you playing wickets with me? You know I get jumpy on these marches. Wait. I think I... Yeah. Yeah. I do feel something. My mouth went dry as they turned and faced the shadow I was hiding in. They stepped towards me. Panicked, I stepped back and almost tripped, barely catching myself on the hilt of my sword. Right as my fingers touched it, a voice blazed into my mind. Down the alley to your left. Hurry! My sword Gabriel ordered. I obeyed and ran down the dark alley to my left. As I did, the lunas heard my running footsteps on the dark and charged after me. He's making a run for it, one of them shrieked. With that, the others in the street were alarmed. All at once they came charging into the alleyways, looking for me. Gabriel's commands shouted into my frantic racing mind. Right, second left, wait, hold it, now go, faster, 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 stop, turn around, right, right again, up. What? I whispered out loud. Up! Gabriel commanded. Hardles and lunas filled the dark alleyways around me. With a quick flick of the back of my robe, my wings spread and flew me off the ground. They fluttered furiously as I flew higher and higher, dodging planks and torn sails from the ship houses. Already my wings were growing tired. Every passing moment eel poison sapped them of their energy. Thank Pixie for Gabriel. The ancient sword guided me through the air over the village until I landed in front of the twisty-tailed Todd Inn. The moving object on its roof was a wooden sign, a small fishing boat bearing its name, teetering back and forth with two joyful characters on either end, using it as a seesaw. The building itself was what was left of three pirate ships that had smashed into one another. M could sense the panic and fear in my heart. Her head pressed up against its racing thump-thump-thumps. She cried for a moment, but once I managed to calm myself, I was able to soothe her back to sleep against my chest. After hiding my wings in my robes and taking a deep breath, I walked through the door. Inside, the inn buzzed with life, literally, because it was full of dirty insects laughing at tables, exchanging jokes and stories with big, hairy fairies. The main room was lit by a massive brick fireplace that sat beneath the trophy head of a unicorn bass. A tragedy, the sight was. Such a rare fish, with its beautiful rainbow scales and horn nose, deserved better. The floor was sticky under my feet, and the air smelled thick of wet wood, bad breath, and vinegar. An organ made from a treasure chest blared an obnoxious tune through the cavernous room, its organist pounding wildly upon the beetle keys. Never had I set foot in such a nasty place. This was the type of establishment my parents regularly warned me of. Ma and Da would always wag their spoons at me across the dinner table and say, Stay away from the inns, Will! They're so bad they'll turn your wings black! 
I wasn't sure if that last part was true, even in this very moment, but it had scared me silly away from these places up to this point. Table for one? Asked a raspy voice in front of me. I snapped out of my disgust and looked at the waiter. A sad-looking fellow. He was old and disheveled, like he'd lived ten too many lifetimes and not in the right places. His grey hair hung in thin strands and holes marked his drooping wings. Yes, please, I said. Please? The man repeated as if trying to translate the word. Please? He couldn't believe someone had actually used a kind word with him. Right this way, he said, shaking his head. To my great misfortune and despite my good manners, the old fairy led me to the table closest to the organ. My ears rattled from the loud music. I did my best to cover Em's ears to keep her from waking and crying out. This was no place to reveal a queen. What'll it be? asked the old waiter. I leaned in and did my best to talk quietly over the organ. One ink eel, please. As if it was any other order, the waiter numbly scribbled something in the air with a quill, leaving faint dusty lines floating in front of him. Do you want a side of oyster tongue with that? Uh, sure. Fried, grilled, or baked? Grilled'll be fine, thank you. The waiter scribbled some more in the air. Anything to drink? Chow cheese juice? Uh, rotten berry sauce? I felt the poison creeping back up again. Stinky bits, I mumbled, pushing it back. Sorry, not on the menu this week, the waiter replied without skipping a beat. I shook my head. No drink. Right. With a snap, the waiter's quill flew over to the kitchen, where it stuck itself back into a giant half-man, half-parrot that worked tirelessly over the stove. Once the feather reattached itself, the birdman immediately began preparing the order. In no time, a steaming plate of Queen Inkiel was dropped in front of me. My eyes stared over the towering mess of cooked creature. I recognized its black, slimy body and the yellow line along its back, but to my horror, this eel was at least twice the size of the others I'd seen. I have to eat this? I thought. I'd secretly been hoping it was only a slice of the serpent that was served, not the whole bloomin' thing. Wait a minute. Maybe all it takes to get rid of the poison is a few bites, and I could leave the rest for the flies buzzing around the place. Holding back a gag, I knifed into it and went to work. I took my first painful bite. Now, I want you to imagine the worst thing you've ever tasted. The grossest thing you've ever put in your mouth. Got it? Good. Now, set it out and let it rot for a few years, and then eat it. That, my friends, is what Queen Ink Eel tastes like. It's everything bad in this world crammed into one despicably nasty bite. I pushed through three bites and sat back. If I focused real hard, I could feel the poison fading a little. It had stopped spreading, for sure, but I knew it'd take more than a sampling to rid me of it all. Plugging my nose with one hand, I chowed into it. The sounds of marching feet and commotion approached the outside of the inn. 
I stiffened as I looked over my fork. Torches bounced beyond the cracked windows. The minions of the dark. They'd found me. I stuffed the eel into my mouth as fast as I could. When the door kicked open and the Lunas, Dark Fairies, and Hardles stormed in, I still had a quarter of the eel to eat. The inn fell silent as they entered. I could tell the poison was almost gone, but I knew it would take every last bite if I wanted these wretched creatures off our tail. The minions felt the pulsing call from the poison, faint though it was. Slowly, they followed its pull, stepping by the tables and giving each patron a long, searching look before moving on. I stuffed that eel like it was a starving man's birthday cake. In it went, one heaping forkful at a time. And still the minions stepped closer. They were three tables away, but I still had four more bites. The wood floor creaked as the hardles reached the table next to me. With one last towering fork, I shoved the last few bites in and swallowed. Just then, a fat, scaly hardle leg came into view and stopped. The creature looked me over for a very, very long second, breathing heavily. And then it moved on. They'd lost scent of me. It was a miracle. I nearly jumped with joy. Suddenly, M cooed. The minions stopped and turned. I did my best to cover it up. Ooh, ooh, yummy. More, please, I called to the waiter. Surprised, the old waiter took down the order and sent it to the kitchen. The minions huffed and then continued their search. As they worked through the rest of the tables, I quietly stepped out of the room and relished in my newfound energy. Life seemed to fill me again. I'd almost forgotten what it felt like not to have that fiery poison aching in my leg. Taking it one back step at a time, I snuck towards the exit. A slimy long hand wrapped itself around my mouth and pulled me into a dark hall. They'd gotten me. I tried to scream, but the hand silenced me. Will you stop your fidgeting? You're gonna break my arm, whispered a familiar voice. I turned and gasped. Tim? I nearly shouted. Shh, that's right. It's me. Quiet, you. Look, Dennis caught, he said, looking over my shoulder. I couldn't believe it. My best friend, Timothy Toad, here of all places, with his token baggy pants and bulging carefree eyes. Wait a minute. I thought, what is he doing here? Tim continued, I only recognized you with your snazzy new robe. Say, where's... I opened the robe near my belly to reveal M, who smiled back at him. Oh, still cute as a ladybug spot, Tim said, stroking her face. Golly, she's nearly doubled in size. Tim, what in high pixie are you doing here? I thought... I looked around to make sure no one was listening. I thought you were looking for my... Tim smiled and nodded over my shoulder. 
Confused, I slowly turned and followed his gaze. When my eyes stopped, my body froze in shock. Sitting at the organ, banging away on the keys, was a familiar man, thin with dark hair, a long face, and a long nose. Dah! I almost ran for him, but Tim stopped me. He pointed his long toed finger at the other side of the room. There, cleaning tables, I saw bright red curls bouncing. Ma? Tim, what are they? How did you? Shh! Tim hushed. Cool it, Will. You're gonna give us away. We have to get them out of here, I said. Look, they're both heading for the kitchen. I'll meet them there. We'll wait. It's not that simple. We'll stop. But it was too late. I was already halfway to the kitchen, ducking out of sight of the prowling minions. Pretty soon I stood next to my parents and pretended to be helping them with the dishes. Ma, Da, it's me, Will. I'm going to get you out of here, I told them in a harsh whisper. Startled, Dad jumped and then tried to get a better look at my hooded face. Don't make a scene, I told him. They're watching. Meet me out back in twenty seconds. I've got a ship waiting for us. Without giving my parents a chance to process the whole moment, we snuck out the back using different doors. Tim was trying desperately to tell me something, but I just shooed him off. What's going on? said Ma when we reached the alleyway. No time to explain, I told them. We'll talk on the ship. Quick, follow me. I led my parents and Tim down the streets back to the port where... Oh, no. I came to a stop and stared at the docks in disbelief. The jolly leafer was gone. Magborn! Magborn! I called. He was nowhere to be seen. I panicked and ran over to the other docks in case I'd been mistaken. But it was gone, all right. Something crunched under my foot. It was one of the little coins and beads from Magborn's beard. Traitor, I said under my breath, squeezing it in my hand. He's left us for dead. Who's left us for dead? What's going on? Da asked. Who are you? Mother cried. Finally, I turned to face them and pulled back my hood. Ma, Da, it's me, Will. I told you, I'm gonna get you out of here. Tim grabbed my shoulder. Will, I've been trying to tell you, he started to say, but I brushed off his hand. Can you guys hear me? I said, growing frustrated. The bewildered look in their faces was starting to make me angry. It's me, Will, your son. I pulled back my robe to reveal M. And your daughter, the queen? The fog thickened around us, and with it the air grew sour. Dal looked at me like I was crazy. I've never seen you in my life, he said. Ma was almost in tears. Take us back to the inn at once, you... You wild boy! They stared at me, scared and confused as the fog blotted out our surroundings. My heart sank. They didn't know me.
Hey there, Rocketeers. I bet you guys noticed that I didn't really teach anything during that story. Well, guess what? You're not getting off that easy. Because I'm going to teach you a little something right now. As you know, with winglings, we learn about nature, about the natural world around us. We learn about trees, rain, caves, waves. We learn about all sorts of cool stuff. In this story, we heard about something called fog. It's that stuff that looks like a cloud that floats just above the ground. And that's essentially what fog is. Fog is a low-lying cloud. It's made up of millions of tiny little water droplets or ice crystals. And when the air is cooled close to the Earth's surface, water vapor condenses, and these tiny droplets are light enough to remain suspended in the air. The most common type of fog is radiation fog, and that's when heat radiates away from the Earth's surface at night, and it cools the surface and allows the tiny droplets to form. It usually happens during a clear, cool night. Now, in the story, fog was really thick in Crow. It made it hard at times for Will to see things around him, and that can happen with fog. Fog can get really dense the thicker that vapor becomes. Now, I thought this story would be appropriate for the beginning of October because it kind of feels like a Halloween story. It's a little Halloween-y. And don't tell me that's not a word, because I just made it up. So it is. Halloween-y. Definition one. Something that is related to Halloween or feels like Halloween. Definition two. A creepy, dark hot dog that you eat in October. See, Crow kind of has a little bit of an eerie feeling. It's kind of a dark village with a lot of weird, suspicious characters. But I hope it didn't feel too spooky for you. I hope it had a little sense of Halloween without getting too creepy. Because I personally don't like spooky or scary. I don't like getting scared. But I do like a little bit of suspense and a little bit of excitement. So hopefully you got a taste of that during this story. Fog, for whatever reason, tends to be used in spooky stories. Probably because fog, when it's really thick, makes it so you can't see things, and we don't like not being able to see things. And so for me, what's scary about fog is driving in it. That is what's scary about fog, is driving through a thick cloud where you see nothing but gray until two bright red blinking brake lights appear in the cloud. That, ladies and gentlemen, is terrifying. Hopefully this makes you guys not want to get your driver's licenses till you're 18 years old. You're welcome, parents. I hope you all enjoyed this episode of Winglings Under the Willow Tree, which is a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. If you enjoyed this story and the rest of the stories from the Purple Rocket Podcast, let us know by leaving a review on iTunes and tell a friend so they can enjoy these adventures too. Thank you, Rocketeers, for listening to the show. This is your host, Greg Webb.